Public speaking has its pitfalls, right? <laughs> it just does. Hey, uh, I want to reiterate something uh, that Nikki said. Really, really want to encourage you to register for Christmas Eve services because you might show up and there won't be any room in the inn, all right? Don't be Joseph. Register. Make your reservation, okay? Part four of Advent Conspiracy, uh, where we have been talking about this time of preparation, right? Advent is the four weeks leading up to, to Christmas Day, where Christians for the last thousands and thousands of years have used to just prepare their hearts, their minds to celebrate the coming of Christ. And at the same time, where we find ourselves in between Jesus's first Advent and his second Advent, right? Um, so uh, we're, we're, we talked about so far worship, right? That, 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 that this begins with worship. We all worship something. We all worship someone. And, and we have been encouraging. We want to continue to encourage you and point you to Jesus as the center of your attention, the center of your affection all the time, but especially at this time of year when we're going to celebrate his birth. So worship fully, Right? Uh, worship always leads to something with your wallet, or it should. And the second tenet is spend less. We push back on the empire of more, the kingdom of overconsumption, um, by spending less. And then that leads us to, that frees us up to give more, as we talked about last week, to give the kind of gifts that retell and reflect Emmanuel, God with us. God sent us a relational gift. And we can reflect that in giving relational gifts. And all of that leads to our fourth tenet. If you've been around Grace Point for the last decade, you know what the fourth tenet is. If you're new to Grace Point, this may be new to you. Um, but the fourth tenet is love all. Love all. Now, here's the thing that makes this a little bit confusing for us, especially in our culture. Because I love my grandma, but I also love sugar cookies. Is that the same? I, I love my freedom, but I love the Chiefs or the Jayhawks or the Wildcats or the Royals. Is that, like, is that on the same level? Some of you, you love your dog. Some of you, you love your cat. Don't know why, but you do. It's like misguided at best. Do you see how confusing love can be? Right? Um, the, 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 I, I'm sorry, cat people. I just offended you. But cat people don't have feelings, so it doesn't matter. Uh, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Did you know, this is online too, I really am in trouble. Hey, did you know the Inuits in, in Canada and Greenland and Alaska, they have 30 words for snow. We have one word for love. So, can you see how it might get a little confusing? Do you see why it might be a little bit Weird for us to approach this idea of love, and especially this time of year. Like, this is the time of year where feelings and expression of love are kind of at an all-year all, all high, right? Um, I, as a parent, I have loved being able to provide moments of joy and expectation and wonder for my kids, especially when they're growing up. It's been one of the funnest parts of being a parent. For kids this time of year, they love this time of year. They're out of school for a couple weeks. They get to open presents. There's always the possibility of snow. So there's, there's just this, 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 this moment, this feeling of love. It's easy this time of year 
to have feelings and show expressions of love. But I want to talk about the second word. Because it's easy, well, maybe it's not necessarily easy because we all have a story of how it's difficult to love family. But it's easier to love those in our close-knit circles, the people that are closest to us. But, but the fourth core practice of Advent conspiracy isn't just to love the people that are close to us. It's to love all. The people who maybe aren't as close to us as those in our family. So love all. What does that look like? Really what we're talking about today is the theology of Christmas. And I know you guys woke up this morning going, man, I hope we talk about the theology of Christmas at church today. But this, this is really the theology of Christmas. In a nutshell, here it is. God came for the poor. That's the theology of Christmas. And just so we're all clear, the poor is you and me. There are, there are over 3,000 different scriptures throughout the Bible that talk about the poor as the under-resourced or the underprivileged, those who have less. That is absolutely true. But when we're talking about the matters of eternity, when you're talking about the everlasting soul inside each and every one of us, a poor person is anyone in need of God's grace. And every single one of us are on that level. We are in need of God's grace. So don't get stuck on the image that comes to your mind first when you hear God came for the poor because poor means lots of things just like love means lots of different things. So here's what I want to show you today. If, if you have a Bible or a mobile device, find Luke chapter 2. This is the, the traditional Christmas story. This is the one that we know really, really well. Luke was one of Jesus's biographers. He was one of the historians of the early church. Um, he, he investigated all of these things, all of the, the eyewitnesses of Jesus's life, ministry, death, and resurrection. And he um, provides a friend with an orderly account of Jesus. And even, I just want you to see, even when it comes to the announcement of his birth, God kind of shows his hand. He kind of opens the curtains a little bit and lets us see the man behind the curtain. And instead of sending the announcement to socially and politically connected people, he sends the angels to the reviled, to the ignored, to the forgotten people in this area of the world. Here it is, Luke 2. Here's what he says, starting in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. This is the setting. This is the stage for Jesus's birth <laughs> announcement. Now, some of us grew up taking part in Christmas pageants. Any Christmas pageant survivors here today? Yeah, yeah. Now, I say survivor um, because some of you, like me, were typecast from a very early age, right? Uh, you were a shepherd. Um, maybe you were an angel or a camel. And um, you asked if you could play Joseph or maybe one of the wise men one year. And that request was denied by the very controlling director <laughs> of the Christmas pageant. I'm totally over it, <laughs> right? But because of that experience, 
When we hear shepherds out in their fields watching over their flocks at night, this is what we think. Right? It's, it's some guy in probably his dad's bathrobe with something around his head, not really sure what that is, with a, a staff that's shaped like a candy cane, right? That's kind of the image that comes to our minds when we think shepherds. We don't know much about them because they're just kind of in the background. They're kind of on the back row. Don't have a lot of lines, don't say a whole lot. But there are, actually, the thing about shepherding is it's an ancient practice that's been happening for thousands of years. In fact, there are still people today in places like Afghanistan and Pakistan and Mongolia who are shepherding the same way they were shepherding 2,000 years ago when the angels showed up. Here's a, a modern-day picture of an Afghani shepherd. That's a little bit closer to what shepherds might have looked like back in that day. He's always with his sheep, constantly looking for grass, constantly looking for water, making sure they're protected and cared for. Um, it, it, again, it's really a profession that hasn't changed over the last two millennia, except for a few very important details. Uh, the shepherds in the first century didn't have a great reputation. Um, they had a stigma about them. They didn't play real well with other non-shepherd human beings. When you can't really blame them because you, you spend all your time around sheep, it's going to make you a little socially awkward at parties, right? And their reputation wasn't completely unwarranted because shepherds were kind of known as shady people. She shepherds were hard, tough, rugged human beings. You had to be. If you were going to work long hours outside in all kinds of weather, you were doing a job no one else really wanted to do. And in fact, because of the nature of the job, Shepherds didn't have homes. They didn't have property to own. And so they're, economically speaking, they're poor. Very little money, very little power, very little privilege. They found themselves kind of at the bottom of the social totem pole, at the very least the margins of the social totem pole. To make matters worse, in this Jewish culture, they weren't allowed to worship in the synagogue. They were unclean. They were, they were unacceptable. They were acceptable to, to take care and raise the sheep to be the sacrifices in the temple, but they themselves aren't acceptable to go in. No one really wanted to have anything to do with them, religiously speaking. So in the first century, shepherds kind of faded into the background. They were on what, what we'll call the forgotten fringe of society. <laughs> and these are the people Luke tells us that the angels showed up to that first Christmas night. The poor, the homeless, the overlooked, the ones that Jesus would grow up and teach and say that these are the least of these in Matthew 25. They've got the least influence on the outside looking in. We, we, we sang a little bit of Mary's song, the Magnificat. And, and in Mary's prayer, in Mary's song, she talks about how, how would God look on me as this, this lowly individual? You see it all throughout the story. And, and I don't know this, but I'm guessing the shepherds are a little confused as to why these angels are coming to them. They're thinking, how in the world did we get box seats to the, to the most important announcement in human history? Why are you coming to us? Why are you telling us? And in coming to the shepherds, 
God was, he was, well, he was flipping the script. He was turning it upside down. All the normal ways of thinking about social order and connectedness, he, he sent a very clear message through the announcement of Jesus. And what does the angel say? The angel says the same thing an angel says to every human being that they ever encounter. Do not be afraid. Why did he say, why did the angels say that? Because the shepherds were afraid. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. This, this news that the Messiah, God's solution to our problem, this news was, was being fulfilled in their lifetime, this prophecy. It, it, and it wasn't proclaimed to King Herod in his royal court. It wasn't proclaimed to the religious elite and philosophers of their day. It was first announced to the poor, the outcast, and working his way towards the middle. Who was in the middle in that day and time? Who, who was in control? Rome was in control, and we know Pilate was in control. When does Jesus get to Pilate? Last day. Shepherds on the fringe, Pilate in the middle. He didn't get to Pilate until the last day. Here's how the shepherds responded. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger, the first group of people to lay their eyes on the face of Emmanuel, other than Mary and Joseph. The first group of people to worship Messiah were the shepherds. He goes on, verse 17, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The shepherds saw and worshiped, then they went and told. They saw and worshiped this newborn king, and then they went and told others. This, this good news changed them. This good news caused their mouth to open. And they became some of the most unlikely evangelists around it was the forgotten fringe that God worked to make this thing go viral. This is the theology of Christmas. Jesus came for the poor, the destitute, the spiritually bankrupt, and that should change not just how we celebrate Christmas, but it should change how we live. It should change how we speak. It should change how we worship. It should change how we spend. It should change how we give. And it should change ultimately how and who we love. This is the theology of Christmas. He showed up for us. He loved us. And if he's the model, then it's our turn to love all. To love the poor, to love the destitute, to love those on the forgotten fringe of our society. It's our turn to partner with God in our own little way and bring bits and pieces of heaven to this earth as he taught us to pray. That's what it means to love all. So I'm gonna say something and I'm gonna be blunt because sometimes I don't know about you, but I just need to hear it bluntly. I don't think it's enough 
for us to simply remind ourselves of the story of Christmas at Christmas. I don't think it's enough for us to simply regurgitate information we've heard before. It's not enough to come into a building and sing songs and read stories and remind ourselves that Jesus was born and then just go on with our lives. I think part of the Christmas story is that it changed the world back then and it's still changing the world today. And that happens when people who have been changed by Jesus find practical, tangible, concrete ways to live out the theology of Christmas. We find ways to reflect the self-sacrificial love that Jesus displayed. And yes, much of that has to do with how we love the people closest to us. Because the people that are closest to us are sometimes the hardest people to love. But it absolutely has to do with how we love the people close to us. But it doesn't stop there. We are fooling ourselves if we think our love ends with the people that are closest to us. If we're going to love as Jesus loved, if we're going to live out the theology of Christmas, I think we have to come face to face with how we respond and, and treat and love the poor, the marginalized, the bankrupt, those on the forgotten fringe of society. And so I want to introduce you to an individual who you may know, you may not. Her name is Lamanda Brill. She's the executive director of the Topeka Rescue Mission. And she's going to talk to us a little bit about how we as a church might respond to the forgotten fringe of our own society and what that may look like. So, church, would you welcome Lamanda to Grace Point? Good morning. I am so humbled and grateful to uh, be able to spend some time with you this morning. This is my first time to be at Grace Point, um, but as I look out, it doesn't feel that way. And it doesn't feel that way because um, right now in this room, there are several staff members who are near and dear to my heart that I love dearly. Um, there are many of you who are donors who are volunteers and prayer warriors for us. So I, um, even though it's my first time, I kind of feel like I'm at home. So thank you for allowing me some time with you this morning. Since it is my first time, I do want to give you just a little bit of information about me so that you know who is before you. Um, I have been at the Topeka Rescue Mission for about a year and a half in the executive director role since April. Um, so I'm a master at it, right? Just kidding. Um, I still have a lot to learn, uh, but God is so good and he has been so faithful um, through my journey. Uh, prior to that, I was an educator. Um, I was a principal with 501. And so earlier I did joke and say, uh, they asked me, do you want to be able to control your mic? And I said, whoa, whoa, the only people who can talk more than pastors are educators. You want to control my mic back there. Um, so anyways, I did that before coming here um, to the Topeka Rescue Mission, and um, I absolutely love what we get to do every day. So as I start my um, kind of explanation of why I'm here this morning, I want to give you some statistics that link back to our mission and our vision. So the Topeka Rescue Mission is all about bringing the hope of Christ, the truthfulness of the biblical foundations to those that are in need. We primarily do that through sheltering and through feeding the hungry. But in addition to truly meeting those basic needs, we also are feeding the souls of people with the truth that they so desperately need just like all of us do. 
Last year alone, um, if you look at how we sheltered, um, we sheltered over a thousand individuals. Um, the makeup of that was over 600 men, over 200 women, and almost 100 children. When you look at those stays of that thousand individuals, um, some of them stayed one night, some of them stayed months, depending on what kind of program they were in and what they were working towards. When you total up the nights of stay, that is, it's almost 44,000 nights were made possible at the Topeka Rescue Mission because of God's provision and him providing and because of our amazing staff and, of course, the volunteers. To me, when I saw this statistic uh, early last year when we were getting all of our stuff ready for the annual report, I just was blown away uh, by our sheltering statistics but also our food. Um, by a show of hands, how many people have served in our kitchen? Multiple, looks like almost half. Um, so you know how small our kitchen is. We did just recently do a renovation and it's back up and going. But out of that kitchen, we served um, a little over 137,000 meals right here to our very own community members. In addition to what we do in our food service, our distribution center are oftentimes our unseen heroes. Our distribution center runs a food distribution twice a week where we see anywhere between 95 to 140 families on a Tuesday, and they do it again on Thursday. So when you look at what they did last year, it was over 10,000 food bags that we gave out to people that were in need. I will tell you that we're seeing um, a pretty dramatic increase in that. We are also seeing people who previously were donors with us needing to be recipients. We want to walk alongside people and help people with their needs. When you look at those 10,000 food bags that we gave, the meals that are inside of it that could be made, it totaled over 300,000 meals that we did just at our distribution center. So I want to very boldly talk about how God provides for us. And those statistics, they're joyful, right? Um, just to be able to see how God gives us the resources and then we have amazing staff who make it happen and we have volunteers that walk alongside us and we have prayer warriors who are in the fight with us against poverty and hunger. But I'm gonna be very transparent this morning. My speech might sound a little negative, my speech might have a little bit of a different tone than what you're used to because I'm also gonna to come to you very raw. That when you see those joyful statistics and we see all that God does, there's another side of it. The job is challenging. When we are walking in boots on the ground every day and walking alongside of people who are really hurting, there are many challenges that come with that. So one of the things that the Lord laid on my heart and one of my deputy directors when we were at a conference was take care of your first flock. And our first flock at the Topeka Rescue Mission are my staff. Um, and God has entrusted me as just a woman of Christ that loves people in a big way, but he's also entrusted me as the executive director that we have to take care of our people who are taking care of the people. And that's one of the things that we are refocusing on um, beginning at the end of last year and into this. And so when the Lord laid this on my heart, I thought, where do we start? What do I do? Um, and so recently, in the last three or four months, we've given out a survey um, that was in regards to the ACE scores. And it is adverse childhood effects, where we look at childhood trauma 
and there are a list of questions that were asked. And of those, then you are rated on basically the trauma that you've endured. So these are the statistics that you're going to see before you. 38% of my staff have an ACE score of five or above. Five or above. The highest is 10. In addition to that, 38% of my staff struggle with depression. 88% of my staff struggle with anxiety. Startling, isn't it? I'm talking about something that oftentimes makes people uncomfortable to talk about. But that's what the Lord has called me to do because I cannot continue to only be focused on the people we're serving if I'm not focused on the people who's doing the serving. And so in addition to that, I started diving deep into, okay, now I know. I know what my staff is enduring. I'm enduring it as well. What does this look like, Lord? In addition to that, 57% turnover rate at TRM just for this year alone. Now, we do hire a lot of people that are in hard places, and we will continue to do that because that is our mission, and we want to give second chances and third chances and fourth chances so that we are realizing the grace and the mercy that we receive from the Lord we want to extend to others. However, there's also a part into it that also is they are staffing and they are doing the work that we need them to do. 40% of our employees have left within their first year. The work is hard. But with God, all things are possible, and we know that. But there's also a balance in realizing that our faith has to be rooted, but so do our actions have to be walked out. And so that's what we're doing as TRM is taking actions to make sure that we're taking care of staff so that we can continue to take care of our community. It's not our community. It's our community. Last statistic, 30% of nonprofits right now, according to Forbes, have put on a survey that they are experiencing burnout. Lots of transition happening. So what was placed on my heart, as you see the scripture in front of you, um, I was at a conference and really felt like the Lord was saying this, pairing that with um, just knowing Barry Feeker and his heart, and his heart has been to serve. He's one of the most humble men I've ever met. And realizing that the Lord has then said, now it's your turn, Lamanda. What are you going to continue to do scripturally and biblically, but also practically as we walk alongside people? Um, and our staff every day, every day they see people who are struggling with addiction, people who are struggling with knowing their worth, people who are struggling with physical ailments and maybe nowhere to go. And so that is impressed on my heart, and it's impressed on my heart because it's impressed on the Lord's. So one of the ways that we have began to take steps, this is new for us, is to partner with City Vision University. City Vision University was founded in 1998, um, and it is in Kansas City. It is a Christian university that is accredited, um, and it is tailored around homeless ministry, homeless outreach, street outreach, feeding the hunger, um, hungry, working with poverty um, just generational cycles and what does that look like? And so when I heard about them, uh, Barry and I actually attended a meeting and we knew instantly this was a part of God's plan. This was a way that we could have trainings all the way up to people have master's degrees opportunities that are not just about the practical skills we need to know as we go out and we combat 
everything that our community is facing every day. But in addition to that, it's rooted on biblical principles because we know that there is no skill or ability aside that the Lord gives us because those things don't matter if we don't have Christ as the center. And so you're gonna hear um, a one-minute video of two different individuals who are staff members of ours um, that we are piloting this with, um, and they are taking courses now at City University, and this is something that we hope to open up to all staff members who need it and who are wanting to, to do this. So you're going to hear from them of what City Vision is meaning to them. Hello, my name is Haley Hipsher. I'm on the Street Reach team at the Topeka Rescue Mission, and you know, I would say my favorite thing about my job is working with people every day. Um, some of those folks, they are battling mental illness. Others, it's a drug addiction. Um, but no matter what, I believe that they deserve my best. Um, City Vision University has been such a blessing to me. The professors there are phenomenal. And, you know, just through um, their wisdom and knowledge, I have been able to um, just gain an understanding in what I'm seeing every day. And as a result, I believe that I am able to bring hope to those that feel too far gone, and for that, I am so grateful. I look forward to what the rest of my time will look like at City Vision, and I'm just so blessed by this opportunity. I'm Kim Turley. Um, I have had the privilege of working for TRM for about eight years now. I'm very excited about this opportunity that TRM has provided me with um, to take courses with City Vision. Um, I am pursuing a degree in business nonprofit management, and I'm just really excited to see um, the information that I gain and how I can grow in my skill set um, for the future here at TRM. I am so blessed by both of those ladies. Um, Haley is an amazing woman of God who loves people in a very big and fierce way. Um, Kim Turley is actually in the back right now, and she is my executive assistant. And I say all the time that I could not do my job without God, my family, and Kim Turley. (laughs) Um, She is very important to me. Uh, Right before you now, what I want to show is um, either God's faithfulness that he's already done, or faithfulness that we're standing on, that we know he's going to open up an opportunity for our staff to be loved and for our staff to be shepherded and our staff to be taken care of as they do very, very hard work. Um, Just a couple of these. uh, We have been in the process of changing retirement options um, because for nonprofits, that's a struggle. Um, We are now offering health care to all staff members. We are looking at ways that we can increase wages, which is also difficult for ministers and nonprofits, but we're trying. Um, And we're looking at different partnerships that we can have. We actually have a dentist right now who has said, you know what? Your staff face a lot of challenges. I want to walk alongside and help them with dental health. So God is working all of this out. He is showing us that he will equip those who he calls to do his work. And that's what we're trying to do. I will close with this. You know, I started with statistics, and those are important. God entrusts TRM to be wise stewards of everything that you all bless us with. But we never need to be too focused on the statistics that we forget that those numbers stand for people. And so I want to show you that sometimes it's hard. It's hard when we're mentoring someone and they relapse. It's hard when we see them one day and then unfortunately we see that they've been arrested. It's hard one day when we see um, them crying because they've been hurt again on the streets. 
those things are hard. And sometimes we don't know the seed that we're planting, what all God's going to do with that, but we can trust it. But I want to end with this quick story. Um, Haley, who you saw on the video, is our outreach um, advocate. Uh, Her supervisor is Jenny Falk. She is in the audience as well. She is amazing, special to me. Haley was outreaching an individual starting at this summer, and this individual, she was very untrusting, um, wasn't sure, kind of kept her distance, but started coming around a little bit more. And if you know Haley, Haley has a gift of just being able to kind of break people's cores and be able to get into trust. And so they were at an appointment, and um, they were worried that they were going to get some bad news regarding um, this lady who was living on the streets. Uh, But praise God, she got a better report than anticipated. And so as Haley and her left, Haley was transporting and helping, the young lady looked at her and said, Haley, I have to tell you about a dream and a vision that I had last night. And Haley was kind of taken by surprise, but said, okay. And she said, I had a dream that we were two goldfish and you were in a tank by yourself and I was in a tank except for yours was full of water and you were healthy and you were happy and my bowl was almost empty and I hardly had any water. She said, Haley, you quickly realized and you began splashing as hard as you could to get water from your bowl and your tank over to mine. And before long, I realized that I was going to survive and I was going to live because of your efforts. So statistics are great, the work is hard, but the people are worth it. There's times in our lives where we're the person in the bowl with all of the water, and there's sometimes in life where we're the person where our water's been depleted. And so in order to keep being splashing and to keep being able to serve the ones that need it the most, I also have to make sure that I'm filling the tanks of my staff. And that's what we appreciate with all of you. And um, we appreciate the partnerships, the prayers, and the donations. Thank you so much. Did you stay up here? Yes, I did. So you've heard us talk about this Christmas Eve offering. And our special project for this year for our Advent Conspiracy special, pro, special offering is to fund some of these scholarships for LaManda's staff who are on the front lines of ministering to, loving, and caring for those on the forgotten fringe in our own backyard. Um, so I'm going to call a little bit of an audible. I want to pray for you, but I also want to pray for your staff yes. who's here. Mm-hmm. So if you're a staff member at Topeka Rescue Mission, I know you didn't come to church today for this. <laughs> They're so used to it, Would you just though. stand up right where you're at, please? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> Can I pray for you guys and Lamanda, and then we'll be done. Jesus, thank you for um, the people that are really, um, that are on the front lines of, of doing things that many, <laughs> many of us don't even know the first thing to do. And Jesus, as you have um, called them, as you've equipped them, God, I pray that you would provide for them, that you would resource them both um, individually that you would protect their families, that you would protect their kids, um, that you would give them everything they need every single day. God, I pray for Lamanda as she leads, 
Um, I pray the same for her. I pray that you would protect her marriage, her kids. I pray that you would bless her, not so that she can just be blessed, but so that she can turn around and bless the people around her. God, would you um, show us as individuals, as families, as a church, what it looks like to come and partner with the Topeka Rescue Mission, um, to, 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 to live out the theology of Christmas in the way that we love and the way that we serve and, and the giving, our, our generosity, whatever it looks like, God, would you show us? And then would you give us the courage to be obedient to what you ask of us? God, thank you for these people. Thank you for this ministry. I pray just blessing upon blessing upon blessing for them and for the people that they are ministering to. We love you and we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. She's going to get out to the table, so hold on for a second. (laughs) At Christmas Eve service, we are going to take an offering, and that's going to go to multiple places. There are some booklets on your seats there that show all of the places and people around the world um, that this offering is going to, but our special project this year is the Topeka Rescue Mission. Um, If you're not going to be with us for Christmas Eve services, you can still participate in this. Um, the, The Advent offering is an option on the Church Center app. Um, You can give, you can send in a check, you can bring one by this week as well if you want to participate in this, if you're leaving town or whatever, all right? Hey, Lamanda is back in the, um, the lobby if you want to speak with her. Have a wonderful week. You're dismissed.